Well, first of all, let me say I am Father Dan Beeman. Sorry, Father Dan Malaco. You might get me confused. I know I do. Um, I'm much better looking and more humble than your pastor, so... <laughs> now that we've gotten that out of the way, I'm stationed over in Hampton for another month until I get transferred over to Portsmouth. So, you'll never see me again after today. <laughs> Unless, of course, you go to Portsmouth or I cover another Mass for him. So anyway, I uh, recently watched a movie called Murder on the Orient Express, and uh, it was okay. It was alright. I mean, if you want to waste an hour and a half of your life, go for it. But the point of this story is that the main character in that story, uh, the detective, said something that I resonate with very, very much. He said at one point, he was uh, discussing with another character in the story, at my age, what I like, I like very much. And what I do not like, I cannot abide. Well, let me tell you what I cannot abide. Metaphysics. It's like the worst philosophy possible, okay? Now, in seminary, you have to study a whole plethora of philosophies and, and thoughts, and um, basically, before you can think about the things of God, we have to teach you how to think. So, one of those ways in which seminarians are taught how to think is the study of metaphysics. Now, when you Google, what is metaphysics, and I did this the other day, it says, quote, abstract theory with no basis in reality. <laughs> Thank God all of your donations are going to have us study stuff like that. Um, so it's one of the most mind-numbingly boring subjects in the world. I haven't done the research on that, but I'm pretty sure it is. In my notes, I went back for seven years ago, because I, I kept all of my stuff from seminary. Um, I went over it just to see, was metaphysics as bad as I thought it was? Let me give you an excerpt from my notes. This is verbatim. I wrote, blah, 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 metaphysics, something, something, you're bored. Again, your donations are really being used well for our seminary training. I don't remember anything from metaphysics except this one thing that I'm going to share with you because the class, the rest of the class, was so terrible. But I do remember our professor at one point said, if I place an object on a table and you and I both view that object, we are not viewing the same object. I'll give you an example. That hand sanitizer, which is so prominently placed now, I'm looking at it from this angle. You're looking at it from that angle. We are not having the same experience. Maybe you're standing right next to me, which would be weird because this is the homily, but say you're standing right next to me. You're looking at it. I'm looking at it. The space that is between us, even if you're right next to me, which is uncomfortably, you're not having the same experience as I am. Now let's take it a step further. Maybe we're looking at the same hand, sand hand, hand sanitizer. Sorry, English is hard. Uh, maybe you're looking at the same hand sanitizer that I am, but you're cold, and I'm wearing a thousand vestments, so I'm not. Maybe you forgot to eat breakfast this morning, and you're hungry. Well, I didn't. You're having a different experience of that hand sanitizer as me. Maybe you just got fired, and I just got promoted out to Portsmouth. I'm kidding, it's a lateral transfer. But the, the experience would still be different because you have different experience that you're bringing to this viewing of the hand sanitizer. Now, why do I bring that up? 
Because no matter what I think I'm conveying to you, no matter what you think you're conveying to someone else, we cannot ever be sure that what we are transmitting is being actively received in the way in which we want it to be received. This is the whole basis of what's called miscommunication and misunderstanding. Just because I say something to you, say a homily, does not mean that you are picking up what I am putting down. I gave a homily a couple months ago, maybe eight months ago in my own parish, about the importance of clergy not being fat, and a lady got mad at me. I'll say that again. I said men clergy should not be fat, and we should be in shape. She said, well, Father, I think you're just being so harsh to us who are overweight. I said, ma'am, you are not getting what I was trying to convey. It's very simple. I can say one thing, you can receive another. Okay, why does that matter? Well, <laughs> because if I'm preaching the gospel to you, but you're not ready to receive it, then it doesn't matter what I say to you, you're not going to get it. Imagine, if you will, being at the beach, whatever beach you want, I don't care. When I gave this homily earlier, it was easy because I was on Fort Monroe, so I could say, just imagine you're right out there. But imagine you're at the beach right now. There's no coronavirus, so we're all packed in shoulder to shoulder, and you're happy to be there. We're not afraid of each other. It's great. Imagine that you're there, and we're all there to hear Jesus speak. He's in a boat. He's offshore. But you can still hear him distinctly. I don't want you to picture 2,000 years ago. I want you to picture right now. You and your family or your friends, you're all there. You're here to hear Jesus. Awesome. But just because you're here, just because you're there, does not mean that you are hearing the words that he wants you to hear. As I said, maybe there's something that's keeping you from understanding what he's saying fully. And it can be as simple as, it's bright outside and I forgot my sunglasses. Maybe, if today is any indication, it's hot and you don't like the heat. And you're like, come on, Jesus, let's go. I have air conditioning to go sit in. You're not receiving what he's saying at that point. Maybe you didn't eat breakfast because the last time Jesus spoke, he multiplied bread and fishes, and you were expecting him to give you breakfast this morning, but he didn't. You're also not hearing what he's trying to tell you. Or maybe it's that your life is so entrenched in sin that your ears, while physically open and non-defective, have a film of filth over them so that you cannot hear the word of God. Maybe there's a situation in your life that fills you with so much dread because you are not in control of it, that you're not focused on what he's trying to speak to your heart. Or just maybe, you hear the word of God and your heart is set on fire. Maybe you know exactly what you need to change in your life to conform your life more to what Jesus is saying at that moment, and it fills you with such excitement and an anticipation but you don't want him to stop talking, but you also want it to be over so you can go affect those changes in your life right now. This is what Jesus is telling people with the parable of the sower and the seeds. The sower goes out and preaches the gospel. He preaches the word of God, and he does so indiscriminately. It doesn't say that the sower goes out and carefully places the seeds where they need to be, which they will produce the best fruit. It says he throws them on the path, on the thorns, on the rocks, on the good soil. He throws it indiscriminately with reckless abandon. And this is how we should preach the gospel. 
So often, we who are seasoned Christians discern who should hear the gospel and who shouldn't. We say, oh no, that person is not yet ready to receive what I want to tell them. Or that person may judge me harshly or ridicule me for trying to share with them the word of God. Or that person is below me. We like to think that we know better than God. But we look at the parable of the sower and we see that the word of God is spread to everyone indiscriminately, or it should be. It says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Without cost you have received, and without cost you are to give. It's not up to us who is worthy to receive the word of God. It is only up to us that we do it. Now, being like the sower and spreading the gospel does not mean that we are perfect. In fact, far from it. When one preaches the word of God, it means that they have embraced their faults and their failings, and they know that only Christ is able to make up for what is lacking in them. But we also know that I don't have to be perfect to share that with others. Now, a word of warning, because it, it can seem like we have to start out from a good place and then we just stay there. Or maybe we come from a bad place and we get to a good place and we just stay there. It's kind of this Protestant mentality of once saved, always saved. We're Catholics. Stop believing that crap. You can start out as rocky soil and you can be made fruitful. But you can also start out as fruitful soil and have the gospel choked out of your life by sin. So we must be willing to do the work, the tilling of the soil. We must allow Christ and the gospel to turn over that soil constantly and make it new. We cannot let the fields of our heart grow fallow. We need to cultivate it and to become strong and rich, good soil. And how do we do this? We do this most through the three practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Right now you're thinking, Father, it's not Lent. Quiet down with that stuff. No, we do that all throughout the year. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is what we do. And we focus on it more in Lent. But the way that we cultivate our soil in our soul is that we pray, we fast, we give alms, we build up the body of Christ. As well, we should also be practicing the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy. And in this time when we are more socially distant and electronically connected more than ever, it can seem like the corporal works of mercy are hard to do. This is, in fact, a lie from the pit of hell. How easy is it today to say something nice to someone? How easy is it to make a small human interaction that much more meaningful because you get to interact with a human and not with a screen? It's so easy to do the corporal works of mercy. And the spiritual works of mercy are even easier. You can do those from the silence of your homes if you want. But the idea is that we must pray, we must fast, we must give alms, we must take care of those other brothers and sisters in Christ who may be less fortunate than us in Monetary wealth, sure, yeah, but more importantly, spiritual wealth. Two people cannot experience the same thing in the same way. How cool is that? God has made us so individual that we experience the gospel and God's call in our lives in a distinct and a unique way that no one else can or has in all of human history. It's up to us, though, whether we foster that message that we receive in a way in which we'll be fruitful and multiply, multiply grace in our lives 
and the lives of those we encounter, or whether we will let the gospel be choked out by the vines of the world that take root in our soul and grow so numerous that we cannot feel the warmth from the rays of the Son of God.